Greetings, lords and ladies. Welcome to the court of the Trashy Royals. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy, and thank you so much for joining us today. It is our really, really launch day for Trashy Royals. It's been a long time coming, and we are very excited that you are here. It is time to assemble again into the court of the Trashy Royals, where our betters have always behaved badly, just in fancier clothes, and with some different consequences. Or no consequences whatsoever. Alicia, what do you have for us today to kick us off as a real live podcast? Holy cats. Today it is the thriller roller coaster of a ride through the history of England. We would call it a primer here within the United States, but it is a primer over in the United Kingdom. Today, a really high level view of da da da, the War of the Roses. Da da da! And really, there are reasons that successions are very buttoned up as history will show us soon enough in our trashy royals journey. But wait, there's more. Because the War of the Roses was only about a 30-year period of history, struggle for the throne and all that, and knowing this is a high-level view is going to make what's coming easier. However, if there is a frozen chocolate bar of history in your freezer, you could clean break that frozen bar back to 1327. Essentially, what I'm trying to say is this episode is going to cover the trashy monarchs and their families from 1327, dipping us through the Hundred Years' War and zipping us through to 1485, the beginning of the Tudor administration. Alas, friends, the time draws nigh. Hearken to my story and fling caution to the yonder winds. It is time for Trashy Royals. you have dust shifted into your happy places today, I see. Oh, this is my juice. I love it all. Today we are going to get into the War of the Roses, legendary in history. Again, only talking about a 30-year period of history, but the trashy behavior, holy moly, in this period and all the stuff that gets us to this period, whoa. To understand it all, you have to go back a little further Let's break our frozen candy bar here. In this episode, we are going to cover about 150 years of history. Very in the clouds view, as I will be dipping into some of these stories in much greater detail throughout our journey. You're going to hear a lot of names in this episode today. Do not panic at the historical disco if you can't remember it all. What I want to encourage you to do is remember the themes, the echoes, the tapestries of the threads that begin and continue through it all. There will be no quiz at the end. No testing. None at all. This primer is meant to introduce you to how all of it is connected. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, the family names and lines, especially because really when it comes down to it, we're talking families. Royal ones, most certainly, but... Families adjacent to royal ones as well. It comes down to power. And speaking of power, in this launch episode of Trashy Royals, it is probably a terrific time for the stories that you're going to hear to give you a handy acronym. We all know the king and the queen belong at the top. Yes, everyone knows that, yes. But the history of England, I feel, is so much easier to understand if you know about the peerage and what is a duke of a count of a what? Here's a handy put it in your pocket breakdown as we talk about the peerage from top to bottom. We begin with duke, its feminine form duchess. We have marquis, its feminine form marchioness. We have earls, they live there in the middle, their feminine form countess. You have Viscounts, you have Viscountesses, you have Barons, you have Baronesses. That's an awful lot to remember. 
So I've come up with a fun little sentence. Dirty dogs might make every cat very vocally badly behaved. Dirty dogs might make every cat very vocally badly behaved. When you know who's in charge of what and who's talking to who, this history really does come alive. It's a great mnemonic, by the way. Just something to hold on to as we begin our Trashy Royals journey. Let us anon and go forth into the Trashy History of England because there is a reason we lock coronations down these days. Welcome to the War of the Roses and the 30 years seeing the crown change seven times in a 30-year period. It's a lot of coronations. It's very bad. Just as a preface here, it is not a very stable time period within England. We're going to be getting into the White Rose versus the Red Rose and their origins. But in this time, the 14th and 15th century in England is all told going to leave about 50,000 people dead just in these 30 years. Wow. England is not only dealing with the political nonsense happening at the top of their power structure, but all of those kings and all of the families that come attached with those administrations pretty much all behaving badly because everybody wants power. So add all that to famine, Mm. plagues, wow, and the Little Ice Age. It's like a grab bag of catastrophes. Pretty much. Welcome to the 15th century. Great. War and revolt and Mother Nature really do combine to mess up the centuries we're going to be playing in. Good times. Okay, so how do we get to the beginning of the War of the Roses, which technically kicks off May 22nd? 1455. Ends in 1485 with the assumption of Henry VII to the throne. Okay. Father of Henry VIII. Let us take our historical TARDIS all the way back into time, all the way backing it up to 1327, when King Edward III, Fast Eddie III, assumes the throne. Little backstory here on Fast Eddie III. Eddie III's mama is Isabella of France. Eddie III's father is, no big surprise, Eddie II. Hmm. Isabella of France's story is coming, and the details of her story are fairly trashy, but the thing you need to know about Eddie III is that his father, Edward II, is a terrible failure as a king. Isabella of France has fought an entire war to claim the throne for Edward III, her son. Wow. Wait, so she was kind of leading the army? She was commanding? Absolutely. Wow. All right. Go go Isabella. Just like we saw in the Roman episodes, the women trying to claim power for their sons. This is going to be a theme we see over and over again. It's not just the man behind the throne. Sometimes in history, sometimes it is the mother behind the throne, which Edward III absolutely has. And his father, the reigning monarch, Edward II, pretty much is formally deposed from the throne and then murdered. So, good times. But this is the legitimate line. Edward III, son of Edward II, son of Edward I, and it goes on Mm -hmm. like this for a while. It's Edward's all the way down. So here we are, breaking our frozen candy bar of history at 1327. This is the year that Edward III assumes the throne. It's a whole new dawn, whole new day. Edward III has none of his grandfather's ruthlessness, Edward I, or his father's... Incompetence? Mm, a bit. It doesn't certainly have his father's homosexuality. Oh, interesting. Or his penchant for authoritarianism. Edward III is the coming of the new age in 1327. He's the king of all kings. He wants harmony. Edward III is the king who establishes the Order of the Garter. Hmm. And Edward III is all about chivalry and honor. He's the hero king. He wants to unify everyone. These people had great press shops, I'm just telling you. There's battle. There's celebration. Edward III does marry. Edward III marries Philippa of Hainault. They have five sons. 
How amazing is mm-hmm. that? Male heirs. Everything's going great. Edward III's oldest son is your very favorite, not ever monarch, Edward the Black Prince. Mm, sure, from um, A Knight's Tale. That's exactly right. <laughs> Prominently. <laughs> Eddie the Black Prince is a child destined to be king. Now, Edward III and Philippa of Anault have other sons too, all princes and dukes with big ideas. Let's go down the rest of the boys. They have some daughters, but it's the boys that are going to be the movers and shakers here. You don't say. We got Eddie the Black Prince, top of the order. Next up comes Lionel, Duke of Clarence. Lionel doesn't factor into this so much. He's going to die before doing a whole lot, but he does manage to get up to a little bit of procreation. And Lionel of Clarence has one daughter, Anne Mortimer. Put that name down. She's going to come back around in a little while. The third son of Eddie III. Goodness. This guy is the father of English history. Everybody's favorite, John of Gaunt. Heard of him for sure. John of Gaunt is the Duke of Lancaster. The Lancasters are the Red Rose line. This is the origin story of the Red and the White Rose because son number four is Edmund, Duke of York. They're the White Roses. The War of the Roses being this familial conflict between the Lancasters and the Yorks. Correct. But the thing I want you to know is that the Red Rose Lancasters and the White Rose Yorks stem from two brothers of Edward III. Right. That's the key component in this. Each rose originates with sons of Edward III. Son number five is not necessarily important to the bigger narrative here. He was murdered. His daughter, Anne of Gloucester, will marry into the powerful Stafford family. Okay, so Edward III, five sons. They're all princes, Mm -hmm. but they all have duke titles. They all have lands. They know their place in the world. But for each of these four brothers, it's a little Brady Bunch here. All they ever hear about is Edward the Black Prince. Edward the Black Prince. He's so great. (laughs) Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. That's exactly it. All we ever hear about is our stupid big brother. Now, Edward III had invaded France in 1337. And Edward III just decides that he's the ruler of France, too. Which leads us to the kickoff of the Hundred Years' War. Separate war, and this one played out between England and France. Correct. Modern England and modern France. Now, France has some feelings about (laughs) Edward III coming in and just deciding to make himself king of France. You do not say. (laughs) This is going to be the perpetual backdrop of happenings until 1450-ish. Between England and France. So everything we're about to say, we're not even talking about what happens in France, but I want to let you know that's the backdrop along with the Little Ice Age and famine and plague and revolt and an international war. Hmm. So lots of fun. It does go badly for Eddie, 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 the Black Prince. He goes to fight wars in France for his father because we're like 30 years into the Hundred Years War at this point. And Seriously, England just fights with France for a very long time. Edward the Black Prince dies in 1376 at the age of 45 of mm, bowel things, dysentery. He dies of the poops. (laughs) But alas. Not to laugh. (laughs) Sounds like a terrible way to go. Only the first guy to die of the poops in this episode, actually. Okay. But during his time on Earth, Eddie the Black Prince does get married. He will marry Joan of Kent, and they have a son. 1376, Edward the Black Prince, who is the successor of Edward III, is now dead. Unfortunately for England, Edward III, who is now ruled for a very long 50-year time period, bites it the following year after Eddie the Black Prince. Oh, wow. 
So they've had this succession plan in place for 46 years. 100%. And, and Edward the Black Prince is going to be the continuation yeah, of yeah, the absolutely. everything. Yeah, trained up by his dad, yeah. Eddie the Black Prince, out. Edward III, out the following year in 1377. So after a successful 50-year reign, things have been pretty, I mean, besides all the trauma and the and the plagues the, and the, sure, yeah, yeah. Things have been fairly calm in England because we've mostly been fighting with France. It's real easy to distract the people right. in England about how terrible it is there if we're making France our enemy. I'm imagining a sign, you know, that's like zero, zero days since the last civil war. <laughs> that's... <laughs> The billboard stays that way for 150 yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. Calm is not going to happen in England after the death of Edward III for about another 100 years or really maybe well ever. Because remember, Eddie III has all those sons. And following the way things have always been done, which is a terrible move of planning at this point, Edward III leaves England in the hands of not any one of his competent sons that he has raised and put into powerful marriage alliances arranged with those sons, aligned with other powerful families, Edward III leaves England to his grandson. The Black Prince's baby son, I guess. The son of the Black Prince. His name is Prince Richard. He's about to be known as Richard II. Okay. Dick II. Everything's cool, right? No, because Dick Two is 10. <laughs> and all of his uncles, remember those four uncles, are really kind of mad about Richard II becoming yeah. king. Like, boy king is not a thing anybody wants to do. And I'm sure they all feel like they have valid claims on the throne. Oh, most certainly. Welcome to the beginnings of the War of the Roses, mm-hmm. red line, white line. The sons sort of think that this is their father, Edward III, telling his kids just to pound sand. And all these kids, who are grown adult men now, all have ideas. And here we are at the beginning of the War of the Roses. Let me give you a little bit on Richard II. Oh, Dick II. As a child, he has a set of die, a pair of dice, that are loaded to ensure that he always wins. Good baby gift. He is a kid who wants power. Dick, too, also believes that he is the second coming of Jesus and God. So it's awesome. And he has a lot of uncles. And those uncles are placing a lot of restrictions on a boy who thinks he's a recreation of God Almighty. And even his uncles, not being on the throne, still have a lot of power. The nobility is living the life, and remember all of those uncles have had progeny and children. But here we are in the reign of a child, letting you know that most English folks across the board hate Richard II. The peasants hate him, the aristocrats hate him, and it's all about to go down. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the first power player in this story. This is Henry, the son of John of Gaunt, therefore a Red Rose Lancaster. Henry is the grandson of Edward III, and Henry is the same age as his cousin Richard, Hmm. Richard II. 
Richard, who is a snot and thinks he's God on earth. And Henry is John of Gaunt's son and first among equals. Henry and Richard gonna get in a little bit of battle, 1387. Richard doesn't actually fight in the battle. His armies are led by Devere. Henry does fight in the battle and ends up kicking Devere's tail. Richard has the actual title of the crown, but Henry is actually in charge of the country, which goes fine for about a decade. But as we know in history, revenge is often a dish best served cold. And it is in 1397 that Richard, grown up a little bit, decides to strike back against all of his enemies, all of his uncles, all of his cousins, the whole country, most anyone whom Richard has perceived as an enemy is exiled or executed. Henry takes off. He goes into exile for 10 years. 1399, Henry has been in exile over in Paris. His father, the Duke of Lancaster, dies. And when this happens, his cousin, Dick II, Richard seizes all of the family's land and money. This is John of Gaunt's. Land and money? Correct. Okay. The Lancastrian line. Richard just comes in, sure. takes it all. Now, bad for Henry and the Lancastrians, but the rest of the nobility, the peerage, is watching this whole thing shake down. And they're like, mm, we're not real sure about this. If you can do this to him, your cousin, right? you can do this to us. Henry, not about it. He's going to take 10 ships. He's going to sail to Yorkshire. Henry lands and immediately begins gaining allies. Castles are like, please, we will absolutely surrender to you because this Richard thing is just nonsense. Henry's marching south. And the more he marches, the more his army swells. And Richard is terrified. I want to let you know the thing about Richard that he does best is run away. Run away, Richard, too. Richard's going to hightail it over to Wales. It ends up that Richard and Henry negotiate. And Henry's like, listen, man, I just want my lands back. I don't want to fight you. I just want to get my natural what is due to me in the line of what's due to me. Sure. Let's just parlay. Let's talk about it. I'm not here to do any damage to you. Because remember, Richard's hiding in a castle. So Richard finally comes on out and is captured. At this point... They're like, Richard, you need to abdicate your throne. It's going to Henry, but Richard won't even do that. Richard will abdicate his throne to God because he won't give it to Henry. Sure. But alas, doesn't matter. Welcome to the Henry IV administration. Richard's still alive, but not for very long. He's secretly killed, starved to death in a castle. Sure. And now Henry, his cousin is Henry IV, founder of the Lancastrian dynasty. Red Rose on the throne. And this is where the big idea is born that if you'll see it in history, you have enough muscle behind you and any kind of claim to the throne, there's nothing holding you back. A lot of people now and in the future will make note of this. Right, so might makes right... Which continues to be the general thinking behind, you know, successful coups and such in the modern context. Henry IV on the throne. He's got a lot of challengers, but Henry's the guy until Henry dies of some kind of skin disease. Maybe leprosy, maybe psoriasis. It is said that he is dead from God's displeasure. That would do it. <laughs> 1413, Henry IV out. What happens now? Henry's son, Henry V, takes the crown. There really is a good story here. Henry V, not yet Henry V, just still the son of Henry IV. Here's his dad is dead, out. And Henry V can't wait to be Hank V. Sure. Rushes in to see his father. I can't believe I'm king. This is amazing. And Henry IV, still king, is still alive. And he kind of rouses like, what right do you have to my crown? 
Henry the Oops. Yeah, fifth is like, holy cats, I thought you were dead. Oh, I was dancing on your grave and you're not in it yet. And that's exactly mm. right. It's kind of a funny little historical story there. Awkward. It, it's very awkward. So Henry the Fourth dies. Now Henry the Fifth is officially in charge. And in 1413, Henry V, whoa, baby, he has no doubt, never questioned at all his utter and complete right to the throne. But Henry V is seen as the son of a usurper, right? Henry IV just came in and might makes right. Like, you weren't in the line, but Henry V knows how it all shook down with his father. And Henry V works on uniting the fractured realms of England as the son of a usurper. Hey guys, it's cool. Let's let bygones be bygones. We'll all party. Henry V pardons his enemies and Richard II's supporters. Henry V also is amazing in battle. There's a super famous battle in 1415. This is the Battle of Agincourt where Henry V goes in with the English forces completely outnumbered and still won a victory, an astounding victory. Henry V is the Redeemer King. Everybody's pardoned. Let's all party down. Let's all unify. And I can kick France's butt too. Gonna go grab some French territory. Not only that, he's gonna grab a French wife. Henry V, now thinks he should rule France too, and he will marry the French king's daughter. Her name is Catherine of Valois. (laughs) Marriage? Catherine of Valois has a son too, and Catherine of Valois, we will be talking about her story in detail soon, but let me let you know now, she's the most scandalous widow of the 15th century. Hold on to her. The story of the Merry Widow Mm. will be coming around the bend soon enough. Fantastic. But alas, it's England. And it's all terrible. That's clearly out of the way. So you know that Henry V is going to die at the age of 35 of the poops. Oh. Dysentery once again. Medical schools seem to have been very focused at the time. Mostly you're just going to have to treat the poops. It's That's 80% of your job is going to be the poops. Age of 35. Henry out from the poops. And to England, at the tender age of nine years old, the boy king, Henry VI, is now in charge. It is 1422. You'd think we'd seen this film before, and we didn't like the ending, but let's go ahead and give Henry VI a little time in the spotlight here, because the thing you want to know is Henry VI is just kind of blah from birth. From a very young age, the child is prone to moods of melancholy. He kind of just spaces out. From the beginning, Henry VI is not quite right. Perhaps now we would call it catatonic, schizophrenia, Hmm. maybe severe bipolar. So so it's significant. Very significant. Mental health issue that... Probably does not make him well suited to be a monarch. No, not at all. He's a, it's going to go bad. Add to those moods of melancholy and weird spacing out stuff. Henry VI is terrible in battle. So every accomplishment that Henry V had made in France and had worked his tail off for, Henry VI just losing them right and left. That's what the, so the, probably the aristocracy is like, well, perhaps he will have a bout of the poops. The aristocracy at this point, we could call lions. They are the cousins and uncles of old Henry VI Mm. and they smell blood. Now, remember, these guys are all the leftover princes from Eddie III's descendant line who all started this nonsense And now we're going to get into power grabbing with family trees. Enough to make your head spin, but we're going to try to keep it as simple as we can today. A few power players here that all descended from that line, they're going to be a big deal in this story. First up, Richard, Duke of York. Richard, Duke of York is a great-grandson of Fast Eddie III through his father. 
doubly beneficial for Richard, Duke of York. He is the great-great-great-grandson also of Edward III through his mother's line, a lady named Anne Mortimer, who is the great-granddaughter of Lionel, Duke of Clarence, son of Edward III. It's weird that hemophilia became a thing. (laughs) How people are related in this time is like the limit does not exist. But here comes Richard, Duke of York, and he's got many decades of family history to learn from, might makes right, and hey, Henry IV did it for the Red Rose Lancastrians. My name's Richard, Duke of York. Maybe we can uh, prop up this White Rose line a little bit. Who's going to stop me? Richard, Duke of York, helpfully also has a very good marriage. Richard marries a lady named Cecily Neville, who is a pretty big deal in her own right. Cecily Neville, though, has a brother. His name is Richard Neville. He is the Earl of Warwick and is the father of the next Earl of Warwick, who in history will go down to be known as the Kingmaker. Cecily and Richard the Duke of York, also have a bunch of kids, a lot of boys, four boys in fact, Edmund, Edward, George, and Richard. This is the York contention, all white roses, lining up for battle. Richard, Duke of York, is Lord Protector of Henry VI, and Richard convinces Henry VI that he needs to marry a young princess. You need to get married, my dude arranges a marriage for Henry VI to the daughter of the King of Naples. Helpfully, this young girl is also the niece of Charles VII, the King of France. Very well connected over on the French side of things. So sort of a diplomatic marriage. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hundred Years War still going on. Well, and I guess if he's losing terrain to France militarily... Marrying might resecure some claims or something. Everybody's so creative with all their <laughs> ideas, but I want to introduce this particular character into our arc. This young lady's name is Margaret of Anjou, otherwise known in history, at least around here, as Mad Mags. Mad Mags of Anjou is going to be a big player in this story, but at this time, she is young. She's like 14 years old. She's lovely. She's beautiful. She knows what being raised in court should be. And Mad Mags is also power hungry. Maybe not so much power hungry, but out to prove herself. Anything you can do, I can do better. That's Mad Mags. There's also one other thing you want to know about her. She hates Richard the Duke of York more than anything else in the whole entire world. Okay. Margaret hates Richard, Duke of York, upon her arrival in England, and her hatred of him grows more and more and more every single day. Her preferred guy is Edmund Beaufort. He is known as the Duke of Somerset. Let's talk about him because he's another big player. Edmund Beaufort, the second Duke of Somerset. His father is John, who was the first Duke of Somerset. Edward's father, John, is the first of four illegitimate children fathered by John of Gaunt. Here comes John of Gaunt again. John of Gaunt, one of Edward III's sons, has a legitimate marriage and then has a mistress, and her name is Catherine Swinford. John of Gaunt will marry Catherine Swinford after his wife, Blanche of Lancaster, passes away. But the children already existed. And so it creates this alternate line of succession, or at least line of contenders for succession. So it's a super big deal, right? Somerset is super, super royal, twice removed, but England's panicking. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Might makes right. Are you going to come and try to take us over too? So all of the Somerset, the Beaufort line, is bastardized. The law was written to allow them to hold on to their lands and 
have some sort of peerage privilege, but you are not allowed to claim any single part of the throne. So this is like Parliament passes a law that, okay, yeah. all right, just establishes like, you go be Richie Richies, but don't be coming here to Westminster for anything funny. Yeah, you can never hold the throne. Even mm-hmm. if you win the throne, we're going to outlaw you ever holding the throne. The Beaufort line are Red Rose Lancastrians. Again, they're aligned with Mad Mags of Anjou. Richard of York, White Rose side. And it's all bad. It's just terrible. We have a boy king who even when he grows up, Henry VI is ineffective. There's the never-ending battle over lands in France and England and France and all, mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's, it's all bad. And now with Margaret of Anjou, she knows how to play the game better than Henry VI, at least with the small amount of agency that she has. Where does she get her real agency from? As a woman in this time from procuring a son. Mm. That hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. So here Margaret comes in to England to marry Henry VI. Then she hates Richard, Duke of York, and she's going to put her guy, Edmund Beaufort Somerset, to the task of banishing Richard, Duke of York. Now, Mad Mags and all of her cronies, including Somerset, run things until about 1450. And they're all very corrupt. But Henry VI is beyond incompetent. So there's no one there to stop him. The Red Roses are in charge. Now, eventually, Richard, Duke of York, finally has enough of this nonsense. And he's going to march in on London. Attempt a takeover, but it's not successful. So Richard, Duke of York, is going to land himself in prison until he swears fealty to Henry VI which he does, finally, in 1453. Well, and he had been the Lord Protector of Henry VI when he was a boy Correct. Correct, yeah. Okay. So 1453, this is still two years before the War of the Roses technically begins. But 1453 is a year that it all goes down. So let's set the stage. Civil discontent is off the charts. The Hundred Years' War with France, huzzah, has finally ended, but... England loses it. It's big time loss for England. The people are mad. The peasants are mad. The nobles are mad. Everybody's mad. And Richard of York, who has sworn fealty, and certainly I won't ever rebel against you again, sees that his time is now, and he's going to do a little uh, wise up, rise up. Aided along, also in 1453, this is the year that Henry VI goes catatonic. He just is mentally incapacitated, he'll go into a trance and just become non-responsive. Convenient, helpful even for your monarch in the midst of civil unrest and warring factions and... Yeah. Great. Henry VI gets, when he gets bad news, he just goes into a catatonic state. He has constant caretakers Because he literally does not know who or where he is. He just goes. So he's the definition of a leadership vacuum at the top of all of of this chaos. Yeah. He got the news about the Hundred Years' War and England loses. And he just breaks for months or years at a time. Henry VI, out. Margaret of Anjou, holy cats, what do I do? She can't do anything right now because... Her husband doesn't even know who he is. So she's maintaining some quiet. And Richard, Duke of York, is again named Lord Protector and will arrest Edmund Beaufort Somerset. Like, everybody's just getting back at each other from all that nonsense before. Sure. Somerset goes to prison. It's just power place city. 1453, Henry VI is 28 years old now has been married to Margaret of Anjou for a long time. It's going to take him like eight years to have a kid, but there's not one here in 1453 when Henry VI mm-hmm. goes. But at this point, Margaret does have a bun in the oven. She's pregnant, finally, which is great. So Richard, Duke of York, is making all these good changes in England while Henry VI is down. 
Henry VI will recover. But all of these changes that York has affected really haven't had much time to manifest in, you can see the benefit yet. But now that Henry VI is woken back up, don't forget at her core, Margaret of Anjou hates Richard, Duke of York more than anything else. He's still a threat. Somerset is still her guy. Henry VI, when he wakes up, kicks Richard, Duke of York out, will repeal all of Richard, Duke of York's reforms, and Henry VI puts Somerset back in charge. Let's go ahead and talk about another power player here. This is Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick from the Neville family. This is the kingmaker, but not quite yet. Right now, the nephew of Cecily Neville, who, remember, is married to Richard, Duke of York, White Rose dude, they're friends and allies. And now that Henry VI is calling the shots again, York and Warwick know that they are wanted prime targets number one by Mad Max. So Warwick and York are going to line up and make some plans to take on the Lancasters. So Margaret of Anjou and her Red Rose Lancastrian armies, Lord Richard, Duke of York, and his White Rose armies, he's allied with Warwick, out to the very first Battle of the War of the Roses. This is in 1455. This is the Battle of St. Albans. York kicks Margaret's butt. White wins this particular battle. What's the fallout? Henry VI, the king, is captured. Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, is killed. But at this point, Richard, Duke of York, is ready to do a little parlay. We'll let Henry VI go if you just put me back in charge again. This is, should be an easy compromise. Let's everybody just take a minute and think about it. If because, you want to live... Well, and because Henry VI has been such a distinguished leader of his nation... But remember what happens when Henry VI gets bad news. Catatonic. You betcha. So Henry goes catatonic again. He can't handle it. He'll do the catatonic thing for a while, only to rouse from this episode with his wife, Margaret of Anjou, screaming again about Richard, Duke of York. And at this time, York and Warwick, the kingmaker, decide... Maybe we've gone a little too far this time, and they're going to splitsville out of England in about 1459. Margaret of Anjou has them declared traitors. York gets the heck out of Dodge. But old Warwick is still a little bit scrappy, and he's still fighting to defend his lands and castles, especially in Calais. Warwick will continue to present the York's fighting against the Lancastrian front across the channel. Until one day, he's like, screw this, I'm going in. Warwick invades London. Too much happiness by the people that are there, but Mad Mags of Anjou not happy at all. So here again, the Reds and the Whites, the Red Roses and the White Roses meet in battle. And Warwick is the victor here. Henry VI is captured again. At this point, Richard, Duke of York, who's been in exile, heads back on over to England now that Warwick has already done all the hard stuff sure. for him. Thanks for clearing the path of the throne there. That's exactly right. So Richard, Duke of York, comes back over and he's like, hey, this is totes cool. I love it. But now we have to deal with Henry VI because I guess he can stay alive. But when Henry VI does die... The crown should go to me and my children, because remember, Richard, Duke of York, married to Cecily Neville, they have four boys, Edmund, Edward, George, and Richard, who are all legitimate claimants to the throne. Everybody in England is cool with this except for, guess who? Margaret of Anjou. She's super mad, because remember, back in 1453... After eight years of trying to conceive, Margaret was pregnant. Margaret and Henry VI now have a son. His name is Edward. He should be, according to Covenant, the next ruler. Sure. 
Margaret's not real down with Richard and his line taking over when she's got a perfectly good son right there. And once again, Margaret needs York out of the way. And she would be extremely powerful if her husband were dead or incapacitated and she was the the regent of her basically baby king. You nailed it. You got it all. Margaret has not worked this hard to be denied at this point. So Margaret, super mad. She's going to sweep through England. She will defeat Richard, Duke of York, and behead him. Oh. And his eldest son, Edmund. That's an escalation. At the Battle of Wakefield at the end of 1460. Now, let's talk about a new side of the war. The Yorks are defeated now, right? Mm -hmm. Margaret, Red Roses, Lancastrians back in charge. But remember that Richard, Duke of York, still has three surviving sons, Edward, George, and Richard. Margaret, after defeating York's army, decides to move along to defeat Warwick's army. And she ends up beating him back but, unhelpfully, like always, Henry VI goes catatonic again. Margaret is going to take off to safety and let her husband sort of get it back together, but London is left without a king. So now Edward, York, mm. now the oldest son remaining of Richard the Duke of York, whose father and brother have been killed by Margaret of Anjou at the Battle of Wakefield, and he's pretty mad about it. He's not sitting real well with, you know, I miss my dad and I miss my brother. And, well, Margaret, maybe you're going to get yours. So Edward allies with Warwick and they're going to start making some moves together. We're about to find out why Warwick's called the Kingmaker. So Edward York goes down to talk with the Bishop of London and the people in London, too, and He's like, hey, y'all, I don't really see any king around here. And y'all have been nice enough to ask if I would be king. So, sure, I guess I'll do it for y'all. Huzzah! I'm Edward IV now. He just kind of claims the throne. As one does. The Yorks are back in charge. Woo! And so, now, Edward IV, new king, brand new king, is going to head off in 1461 to kick the army's tale of Margaret of Anjou again, which she does. This happens at the Battle of Taunton. Goodness, this battle is blizzards and revenge. It happens in early 1461, and it is a terrible battle fought in the snow. 1% of the entire population of England died at the Battle of Taunton. 28,000 men die at the Battle of Taunton. So blizzards and revenge. This happens in a terrible snowstorm. So imagine what 28,000 men look like dead on a battlefield of snow. It is, it's bad. Margaret of Anjou, defeated. Edward, now king. Edward IV, son of Richard, Duke of York. Woo, war ends, everything's happy, right? The Earl of Warwick is like, this is fantastic. Eddie the Fourth, I'm here for you. I will be your guiding hand on this, slugger. You got the title. I got the brains. Let's make lots of kingdom. The Earl of Warwick, oh, Richard Neville, has some ideas. First up, Eddie Four, I need you to marry this French princess. I've arranged this marriage for you. And uh, Edward the Fourth is like, nah, bruh, can't do it. See, a few months ago, I totally fell in love with this older widowed lady with two kids and married her in secret. Did I not mention that I got married a few months back in like a secret wedding? I'm pretty sure this was documented in Game of Thrones. (laughs) She's my queen now. And her name is Elizabeth Woodville. Love it. And she is super hot. She's like 26 to my 20. She's an older experienced lady. Mm. I really, really like her. Went to visit Cougar Town. And even better, great news, she's pregnant. Isn't that amazing? Oh, also, even cooler, Elizabeth Woodville, my new hot, older, hot wife, already pregnant, also has a passel of brothers 
and sisters. So I'm going to marry all of the Woodvilles into my nobility court here. Oh, I bet the kingmaker loved that. You could say that the Earl of Warwick, Richard Neville, is unhappy. He's unhappy. And this is where Warwick begins to shape shift a little bit. Because, whoa, Warwick has been aligned to the Yorkist White Rose side for ever, forever. And now he's the power behind the throne. And Warwick is so angry at Fast Eddie IV that he's like, all right, you idiot boy. You are going to do this over a girl? Over a girl? I haven't worked this hard to get you on the throne, to see your father die, to see your brother die, just for you to not be able to keep it in your pants, Eddie. Come on. Warwick makes a move here. What does he decide to do? I'm going to shapeshift. I'm going to switch sides. Mm. And I'm going to become a Red Rose Lancaster. Wow. Warwick is going to sail to France. Why would you need to sail to France? Is that where Anjou is? That, that is where Anjou Margaret, is? yes. Margaret of Anjou has gone to France. So Warwick is going to sail to France to make an allyship with his mortal enemy, Mad Mags. Also, Warwick brings along George, the Duke of Clarence, who is Edward IV's younger brother. That's That's a nefarious little bit of brother against brother. Oh, it's terrible. So Warwick is involving George, Duke of Clarence, in all of this mess. And Warwick does have a few other ideas. Another one of his ideas, Warwick will marry his two daughters, Isabel and Anne, respectively to Eddie IV's younger brothers, George and Richard. So Warwick's making all kinds of plays, wanting to get his daughters in to counteract some of that Woodville action that Eddie IV is planning. Talk about playing the odds. Okay, I've changed sides now to defeat you, Edward IV, but I have married my daughters to your brothers. And not only am I coming to defeat you, but... My daughters are married to your brothers who will be your successor once I finally get you out of the way, Eddie Four. Edward IV is so stunned by all of this secret wedding, going to make a allyship with Margaret of Anjou, that Edward IV flees. He gets the heck out of Dodge. This is 1470. Edward is going to take off with his younger brother, Richard. Richard is not involved in any of this nonsense besides marrying who he's told to marry. And Richard is completely loyal to his brother, Edward, always. Warwick now, oh God, is like, ha ha ha, I fooled you all. I just pulled a fast one, Eddie. I just wanted to scare you. Edward IV, you're back on the throne. And George, Duke of Clarence, can go pound sand. Warwick Eddie IV make peace, but George, Duke of Clarence, is mad about it. He's been waiting around with this promise that he's going to get to take over once his father-in-law gets his brother out of the way, but that doesn't happen. Enter surprise player, because here back across the channel comes Margaret of Anjou. She's coming back over because she thinks what Warwick told her back when he came to make friends, right. which is that Warwick has taken England back over for her and for her son, hmm. Edward. She does not know, Mar Margaret doesn't, about this double, triple cross nonsense. So she comes back ready to reclaim her throne for her son, and that doesn't happen. This is going to result in the next battle of the War of the Roses. There are only about eight battles in this 30-year war. This one happens at Tewkesbury. At the Battle of Tewkesbury, Margaret's son, Edward, the prince, is killed. Margaret of Anjou is taken hostage and ransomed back to France with a lot of money. The French king is like, I will pay you whatever you want. Just get her out of England. Keep her alive. Please don't kill her. Because she's his granddaughter or something, right? Yeah, she's important yeah, to France, and sure. certainly, like, just, 
here. Yeah. Take some money. Just send her back alive. Henry VI, her husband, is murdered not long after this. And in 1471, now it is the Red Rose Lancasters out of the way. Edward IV and his white Rose of York flying high. Edward IV is in charge. Everything goes great in England from like 1471 to about 1483, except for that one thing. So George, Duke of Clarence, Edward's younger brother, really wants to get revenge for how that all went down. Revenge on his brother or revenge on Warwick? Both. Okay. Really? Okay. He's mad about it. This will have Edward IV make the very hard decision to drown his brother, Mm. George Duke of Clarence, in a vat of... Malmsey wine. You got it. I know this one. That happens in 1478. But again, let us doth progress to 1483 when, oh no, Edward IV dies suddenly. He's in the prime of his life. No idea why he died. Not of the poops, not of anything. Like one day he's fine and the next day he's not. It was the poops. Let's just be real. Mystery illness. Nobody knows why Eddie IV goes. Probably the poops. However, Edward IV, by marrying Elizabeth Woodville, has had sons. Two, in fact. Princes waiting, just in the wings, so it's all fine. Except for Richard, Edward IV's brother, who is now the Duke of Gloucester, who is married to Anne Neville, Warwick's daughter. Edward IV has named Richard Lord Protector of his boys. Richard, always loyal to his brother, and Elizabeth Woodville, the queen, and all of her Woodville relatives kind of get in a little bit of infighting here. The Woodvilles, the maternal side of the princes, who have all married in powerful families, Warwick, son-in-law, sitting right there. It's a This all goes down. We're going to get into this whole story later. But suffice to say, the problem of succession is real. And it is going to be handled by taking the sons of Edward IV to the Tower of London, declaring them illegitimate, saying that back all those years ago when Edward IV met Elizabeth Woodville in the forest, that marriage was secret and not performed correctly and invalid. This is a fairly famous little incident here that you're oh, yeah. up to. Oh, yeah. Prince is in the tower, man. Mm-hmm. So let's just take him there until we sort it out and figure out if you're legitimate or if you're not. And then all of a sudden, those boys are just vanished. Never seen again. Creating the conundrum in history is Richard who is now the brother of the king, now Richard III. Is he a good uncle? Did they die mysteriously and he's just covering it up? It's a real journey. Did did he have them killed to make sure that there were fewer contestants for the crown that he's claimed? Like, lots going on. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, is this a really bold power grab on Richard's part by killing his nephews? Or is it... My nephew suddenly died in captivity. How do I make the most of this terrible situation? Or did he smuggle them away to safety in some other place? Or did someone else? We do not know. No one knows. The mystery of the princes in the tower. But now Richard III is in charge. And let's think about this. It's been Lancaster, York, Lancaster, York, Lancaster, York. And the Yorks have been riding high for a really long time. And Richard is a York. And the Lancastrians now are like, hmm, maybe we can find a way to grab back some power for ourselves. So we're going to introduce a few more players in this story. A few lady players, soon to be mothers-in-law. If we have the mother behind the throne, we have mother-in-laws behind the throne too. They're going to be a continuing repetition in history because, again, women don't have much power in their own right. They claim it through their sons, their husbands. (sighs) First up, Margaret Beaufort. Does that sound familiar, that last name? Yes. Yeah. So I want you to go back and remember 
the Merry Widow of Henry V, Catherine of Valois, all those years ago. Catherine of Valois is the mother of Henry VI. Also, she became a widow at the age of 21. When she becomes a widow, Catherine of Valois will go on to scandalize all of Europe by marrying not just a Welshman, but a Welshman who is a chamber servant and the pony boy of the king. This guy's name is Owen Tudor. And Owen (laughs) Tudor is, whoa, the original pony boy. He is super sexy and he is randy and all out there. And legends will tell us that Catherine of Valois and Owen Tudor have a marvelous time and she's going to have a few more kids through Owen. And Catherine of Valois is royal, which would make her children royal as well. Although it is questioned if even she and Owen were married at all. But no matter, they have two sons, Edmund and Jasper. Edmund and Jasper, boys of Catherine of Valois, Henry VI is the son of Catherine of Valois, half-brothers. And Henry VI, back when he was still alive, is doing everything he can to help out his half-brothers. One of the things that Henry VI helpfully does in 1455 is setting up the marriage of his much older brother Edmund to the 12-year-old Margaret Beaufort, the daughter of the Duke of Somerset, Edmund Beaufort that we talked about before. Remember that the Beauforts can assume the throne, but they were able to keep their lands And little Margaret Beaufort has a very tiny baby hand with a lot of cash. Allying Edmund with Margaret is a very smart power move. Margaret Beaufort's really young. She's like 12, 13. Edmund Tudor is significantly older. But Margaret Beaufort immediately gets pregnant. Her husband, Edmund Tudor, dies. Even before the baby's born, Margaret will deliver a son... Henry, that is pretty much shipped off to France to live when he's three, four years old. This is when the Yorks come back into power. And Henry, baby Henry, is a Lancastrian. And he's a threat with all of the relations happen. I mean, everybody's related and everybody's mad at each other. Margaret Beaufort, her story is coming, but she is a very wealthy widow She loves her son more than anything, and she's going to ship him off. Margaret will marry a few more times into some very powerful families, the Staffords, the Stanleys. Margaret Beaufort is all up in the mix of the side-to-side-to-side-to-side nonsense that happens all during the War of the Roses. Back to 1483. Richard III is in charge, but Margaret Beaufort rightly believes herself to be heir presumptive, way more than Richard because of her Beaufort blood, which comes from the line of John of Gaunt, even though it's through the illegitimate line Mm -hmm. through Catherine Swinford. I know it's all a little confusing, but end of the day, Margaret knows she can't claim the throne on her own, but not one single thing is stopping her from gaining that crown for her son, Henry. Margaret Beaufort, although aligned with the Lancastrian cause, was the second cousin of the York kings, Edward IV and Richard III. Margaret has a lot of Yorkist ties. And Margaret Beaufort here is going to be like, I know that I've been on the Red Rose side for a long time, but maybe, just maybe, we quit this nonsense. So yeah, yeah, so she sort of is is seeking like, To become a fusion figure? A little bit. Okay. So Margaret Beaufort is going to handily ally with another mother who would like their child to claim some power as well. This one, surprise entrance, is the widow of Edward IV, the former Queen Elizabeth Woodville. Oh, sure. Who recently has lost her sons, the Mm -hmm, princes in the tower. Right. And Elizabeth Woodville is out of power and maybe... Margaret Beaufort, me and you, Elizabeth Woodville, Elizabeth and Mags, we get together and we both get what we want. So, Henry Tudor, Margaret Beaufort's son, who has been exiled in France for all those years, 
comes on in back to England to defeat Richard III at the final battle of the War of the Roses. This is the Battle of Bosworth. Henry Tudor is victorious, and thus the Tudor reign begins with Henry Tudor becoming Henry VII. What is that York part of the bargain when Henry wins, becoming Henry VII, that Edward IV's oldest daughter, Elizabeth of York, will marry Henry Tudor, thus combining the houses of Lancaster and York into the blended red and white rose welcome right. to the Tudor administration. Yeah, the Tudor rose is the it, it it's the fusion of the two icons. Henry Tudor needed Elizabeth of York to make his claim more valid. Certainly, he's a Beaufort. He's in the line, but remember Beauforts weren't allowed to assume, but then there's that Tudor thing which you're Welsh, like England's not going to go for that. But Elizabeth of York, the beautiful princess daughter of Eddie IV, she gives him legitimacy. Sure. And I'm sure there was a great tavern song about, you know, son of a pony boy around (laughs) this time. So Elizabeth of York is also going to give Henry VII some kids. And those are further tales in our trashy royals journey, because I feel like that was enough. There is the high-level primer primer of the history of England by Alicia Mm -hmm. from 1327 to 1485, background set. I wish they had more names to choose from. There's just (laughs) a lot of of Richards. (laughs) At least John was gaunt. John of Gaunt is an incredible story. There are so many incredible stories that need a deeper dive. But I wanted just to set the mm-hmm. set the playing field so you know how volatile it was. Introduce you to some of these characters. I think that's plenty enough for today. That is a lot. That is a lot for. Uh, but I do know that we will be diving deeper into a number of these personages and perhaps all of them. I, I don't know. Very high level. Mm-hmm. History really does come alive, at least in my heart, when you know how trashily behaved all of these people are. We are so excited to be launching Trashy Royals. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time with us today. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for your kind reviews. We adore you. We are going to have so much fun over here in our little trashy court. Indeed. Until we meet again next Thursday, level up that crown. (laughs) Keep it situated. Polish it. Oh, yeah. Give it a good spiff it up. I can't wait to see you next week. Cheers. Bye.